ugly politics, battles over judicial philosophy, a great nominee, I weigh in on the Amy Coney Barrett nomination to the Supreme Court. Hey friends, welcome to the Press Club C Podcast. I'm Ray Keating. This episode is brought to you by my forthcoming book, Vatican Shadows, a Pastor Stephen Grant novel. More on that later. In this 34th episode, I'm going to serve up a few thoughts on President Trump's selection of Amy Coney Barrett for the Supreme Court seat vacated due to the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But first, let's quickly answer that key question once more. What the heck is the Press Club C about anyway? Each letter stands for stuff that we talk about on this podcast. P is for politics. R is for religion, mainly Christianity. E is for economics. S is for sports. That second S is for stories, meaning books and writing, uh, novels, nonfiction, my books, other people's books, so on. C is for culture, pop culture and otherwise. L is the big catch-all for life. U is understanding, lessons in, for example, history, education, economics, and so on. B is for business and entrepreneurship, and that last C in Press Club C is for conservative. Why? Because I am one, and I'm a traditional conservative, because we have to clarify such things these days. So let's talk the Supreme Court. It's always fascinated me in terms of my writing career, doing newspaper columns, online columns, policy analysis, books, so on. The Supreme Court's always fascinated me uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, but but in particular for the the debate over judicial philosophy. Um, You know, I'm a uh, a conservative in the best sense of the word, I would say, regarding the court and its role. If you want to call it originalism, textualism, a combination of of both, anti-judicial activism. And that, that, that phrase, judicial activism, which is really the prevailing judicial philosophy for decades now, is bizarre to me. Um... Because it, it, when you boil it down, you know, law schools dress it up, its defenders dress it up, uh, but when you get underneath the, uh, the gloss and the, the rather empty rhetoric about it, the bottom line is, is that judicial activism is, listen, we really don't like what's written in the Constitution, or we really don't like what's in this particular law. So we justices are going to decide for ourselves. We are truly going to legislate from the bench. We are going to be policy makers. Now, that's not what the Supreme Court is supposed to do in any way, shape, or form. That's why we have Congress. Um, <laughs> little detail. But so judicial philosophy fascinates me. It annoys me. It frustrates me. It infuriates me. But it fascinates me as well that this, this illegitimate way of thinking has actually become the prevailing judicial philosophy of our era. Anyway, having said that, um, I want to look at, I want to make five points regarding the Amy Coney Barrett uh, appointment. And I'm doing this on Monday as the hearings are getting started. Um, so first, let's, I, I, I feel for this lady in terms of the circumstances under which she was appointed, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, nominated. So first, um, Amy Coney Barrett should not suffer because of Senate politics. And the Senate politics swirling around her nomination really are ugly. There's no getting around it. Um, the GOP Senate is flip-flopped. Very, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious. Again, you can dress it up however you like, but uh, it's flip-flopped. 
Merrick Garland was uh, President Obama's choice uh, for the court after the death of Antonin Scalia in 2016. Scalia died, I believe, in February. Garland was nominated shortly thereafter. Um, and the GOP Senate at the time said, nope, we're not going to take up the Garland uh, nomination because we don't do that in an election year. Um, and uh, it's just not going to happen. So uh, uh, Mitch McConnell said that, you know, we, we don't do that of a, an opposing party. He, he said opposing parties nominee when we're not, you know, so basically, boom, it's, it's too close to the election. Let the people decide. We'll see how that election comes out. And then we'll we'll get somebody for the court. So that was the GOP position at the time. Uh, now it's flip flopped completely. Um, the the McConnell and the GOP Senate are now saying that um, hey, well you know it's September that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Um, doesn't matter. We're gonna we're gonna ram through this Barrett nomination now. That's unfortunate. Again, separate Barrett from the ugly politics. Um, but there's no getting around it. You know, I know the GOP has danced around and tried to say, well, it's different. It was different from 2016. Arguably, if you look at it honestly, it's this is worse than 2016 because it's so close uh, to the election that it's hard to uh, it's hard to make the case that according to their 2016 view that they should be taking up the Barrett nomination uh, before the, the election here. So, you know, it's interesting. The, the, I think it was Time Magazine, Time.com and a few others have neatly pulled out what various GOP senators and others said, because the de- Democrats have flip-flopped as well, by the way. So now they're they're making the argument that basically the Republicans made in 2016. And, you know, and you get the point. So it's, we're, 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 we're immersed in political flip-flopping. On this issue, but you know, um, anyway, time.com did a nice job of, Hey, what did some GOP, key GOP senators say in, uh, in 2016? What are they saying now? And the, you know, the contrast is striking. However, I give Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, um, you know, at least kudos for being honest. Um, this is what Lee said. Quick, couple of quick quotes. This is what Lee said in 2016, uh, regarding the Garland nomination. Quote, the Senate is a political body, and it's put into the appointment process for a reason. It shouldn't be surprising to us that the Senate has chosen to exercise its power and let the next president fill this vacancy. Right? That's what he said in 2016. Now, what does he say today? It's very interesting. Uh, From a statement in, in September, he put out. In 2016, President Obama nominated a replacement for Justice Scalia. My Senate colleagues and I gave our advice and consent on the nominee consistent with the Constitution by rejecting him. This year, President Trump will nominate a replacement for Justice Ginsburg. And consistent with the Constitution, we will again give our advice and consent. If we like the nominee, we will confirm her. If we don't, we won't. It's that simple. (laughs) You know what? For Mike Lee, at least he's stayed consistent. For Mike Lee, it's just purely politics. It's the politics of the Senate. That's the you know that's his his take. Deal with it. It might be ugly, but there you go. So that's number one. My my first second Barrett also shouldn't suffer because, quite frankly, it's Donald Trump who nominated her. Um, 
you know, whether you like Trump or not, you have to recognize that he's deeply div- divisive, divisive, divisive. Um, uh, and he, he has been dis- very, very, he has been completely dismissive of the understandings of his office, the limitations of his office. Um, I would argue in many ways, respect for his office. Um, he's not a person well acquainted, let us say, with the Constitution, nor would I say uh, a person well acquainted with judicial philosophy. So having said all, so you have to understand that. And um, whether, whether you like his policies or not, and whether you like his, this nominee or not, come on, folks, this is the reality of it. Now, it's interesting, the list, you know, because remember, um, he put out a list of judicial nominees back in during the 2016 presidential race, right? So he's like, hey, if you elect me president, um, here's a list of people that I will pick from. Um, now, the list, I believe, was put together by people at the Heritage Foundation and Federal Society. So it's a great list. Um, it was a great list, and it remains a, a great list from, from what I've seen of it. But it was released for a reason, because he was mistrusted by conservatives, social conservatives. Um, so this was a way for the, uh, the Trump campaign to placate uh, many people in conservative circles um, and to get them behind the Trump nomination. And it worked, right? But understand the list was there for a reason. He couldn't be trusted otherwise. That was the feeling at the time. And uh, and that's why the list was put out. Um, so when you hear criticisms, like I think there was a Wall Street Journal, somebody said, hey, Joe Biden, where's your list? Well, nobody put out... Presidents and nominees obviously have their lists, that, but they've, they've never put them out before. And, you know, why would Joe Biden have to put it out, quite frankly? Um, the only reason it was done was for political reasons in 2016. And we can, and, you know, quite frankly, the list is kept as a, uh, for, from, uh, it's a reminder from the Trump White House to certain people in conservative circles that, hey, see, when these nominees, when these openings on the court come up, these are the people that President Trump will pick from. And you know what? I guess we give President Trump for sticking to the list, which is a good thing. But um, again, th- this process of the flip-flopping GOP Senate, um, how um, the Trump White House has gone about this, should not reflect poorly on Amy Coney Barrett. And this is this is my third point. She need the nominee. She needs to be separated from the politics that resulted in her nomination. Why? Because she's she's very qualified. She even got a thumbs up as well qualified from the American Bar Association. That doesn't happen all the time for for conservative nominees. Uh, she seems to be a person of high character, a sound jurist, um, critical. She she has a respect for the Constitution as written. Um, these are all vital aspects of who she is and how uh, who she is as a jurist and a person. Um, You know, I'm going to quote from her when she spoke at the White House, when she accepted the nomination. This is what she said, quote, I clerked for Justice Scalia more than 20 years ago, but the lessons I learned still resonate. His judicial philosophy is mine, too. A judge must apply the law as written. Judges are not policymakers, and they must be resolute in setting aside any policy views they might hold. Close quote. Bravo. 
Good stuff. Um, so this is why, you know, she needs to be separated from this ugly political process. Uh, and as a nominee, uh, she deserves support. Now, number four uh, on this, and the, the other side of the political aisle, in terms of uh, uh, political ugliness, are, uh, are those among uh, on the left and in Democratic Party threatening that if, if this nominee goes through, nomination goes through, and she's approved, hey, how about packing the court? <laughs> um, let's let's uh, take that number nine and jack it up to whatever we think we want. And, uh, and the notion is, is that, well, if Democrats get control of the House, I mean, they have control of the House. If they keep control of the House, gain control of the Senate and gain the White House, well, then they'll just pack the court. Now, this is, this is petty politics, ugly politics, once again, in an ugly political battle. Um, just because you lose at one point in ugly politics uh, doesn't mean that you get to fundamentally change the rules of the game, if you will, the rules of government, of governing. Um, I know the Democrats aren't used to losing to Republicans when it comes to ugly politics because, you know, they're, they're both, you know, the Democrats always have been very good at it. Um, and in this case, uh, it looks like they're going to lose. But um, that, again, that doesn't mean that you um, blow up the judicial system, in effect. Uh, FDR, of course, tried it, and Democrats still love FDR, but that hurt him politically. He took a hit. Um, and I'm, my guess is, is that if, if uh, let's say, Joe Biden wins the presidency and, and the Democrats get the Senate, if they try something like that, they will take a heavy hit. Um, this, to me, this is a threat from the far left among Democrats. Um, it's likely going to go nowhere. There'll be a lot of, and you know, there'll be a lot of uh, talk and, and ink spilled, if you will, over it. But I don't think it's going to go anywhere in the end. Republicans uh, will, the Republican Party uh, will take advantage of it. They'll gin up fear among it, the base. And generate fundraising and votes, saying that you know what, if look, look what happens if you if you elect them, you know they're going to pack the court. So it feeds both sides, unfortunately, uh, in the worst sense. Now, um, number five, and this is the this is the the one that over the years I've had to come to terms with. Um, you know, those of us who believe that the job of Supreme Court justices is to apply the Constitution and the law and not to legislate from the bench. We have to come to terms with the the power of precedent, stare decisis. Um, it's weird. The, the weirdest thing about precedent is that you can have a blatantly activist decision by a court become precedent. And then... And we've seen this over the years, and we're still seeing it. And unfortunately, I think we're going to continue to see it. And then even justices who subscribe to originalism, textualism, whatever you want to say, anti-judicial activism, they become reluctant to toss out the precedent, the activist precedent, completely. Um it's it's weird. I think it's the power of law schools, you know, the education that these people got, and how power how 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 stare decisis is emphasized in law schools. It's just bizarre. Um, you know, stare decisis um, does not outweigh 
the actual constitution and the law. At least it shouldn't. But, um, you know, it feeds the, you know, judicial activists have a very clear reason for emphasizing precedent, stare decisis, because of what we're talking about here. You know, you can have an activist decision that totally disregards what the Constitution says, but the judicial activists will say, well, you know, once a decision is made, it's a precedent, so you got to stick with that. Now, what's interesting is, um, so the weird thing is, when you get these folks that, let's just use the word conservative jurists for the, the term originalism, textualism, so you get these conservative jurists who, who f- fall into this. Um, one who clearly has it is, is Clarence Thomas. You know, this man, this Supreme Court justice has been the exception. He is a true constitutionalist. And you know what? Quite frankly, he should be celebrated as one of the greatest jurists ever. Especially given the prevailing judicial philosophy reigning during his time on the court. So here's a guy that has stuck to this philo- the true philosophy of, of you know, the, stuck to the Constitution and originalism and so on throughout a time period when judicial activism was the default philosophy. Um, you know, he is clearly taught that what matters is what the Constitution and the law actually say. Um, you know, he once noted that the, the job of a Supreme Court justice, and here's a quote, quote, is modest. We interpret and apply written law to the facts of particular cases. Well, hey, I'm a Supreme Court justice. I don't want to be modest. <laughs> I've got a lifetime appointment here, right? I'm going to do what I want. That's the judicial, judicial activism taps into that arrogance, that 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 desire for power and influence um, that that certainly can that lifetime appointments to the Supreme Court uh, that people can can be can succumb to, can be tempted by, and most of them succumb to it. Um, so again. Those are that's a powerful point by Thomas. Again, making the point, you know, he has he has made clear that stare decisis again doesn't outweigh the actual constitution. Um, again, he wrote at one point, if the court encounters a decision that is demonstrably erroneous, that is, one that is not a permissible interpretation of the text, the court should correct the error. He continues on a little bit later. When faced with a demonstrably erroneous precedent, my rule is simple. We should not follow it. Now, I think to a lot of us, that's a that's the, the reaction to that is, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> that's your job. But that's not the reaction in law schools across the country. That's not the reaction of most justices on the Supreme Court or judges throughout the system, quite frankly. Um, and I think you have to, this, this is where conservatives get frustrated. You know, they're like, Hey, we, 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 this, this person walked the walk, talked the talk, and then got on the court and did something different. So you have the, the ones that, you know, Justice Souter, who just kind of seemed to flip flop when he got on the court and some other folks, Anthony Kennedy, right? Ugh, both of them. But, you have others that, you know, that have been less blatant and have made incremental moves 
back to the Constitution, if you will. But we're left scratching our heads. Why is it that they won't follow Justice Thomas in his clear thinking here? And that's because, I think, again, law schools and what they've been taught and emphasized hammers away that precedent, 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 you know, stands on the same plane, rests on the same plane as the Constitution and the law. And that's ridiculous. So the question with Barrett, if she's approved and I, if she's okayed by the Senate, I expect her to, um, will she join Thomas? She's not going to be a judicial activist. That's pretty clear. Well, we thought that about Souter as well and Kennedy. But anyway, <laughs> this is the roll of the dice with the Supreme Court Justice. But let's assume that, you know, she's not going to be a judicial activist. So will she join Thomas in respecting the Constitution over wrong-headed president, activist president? Or will she join the other court members that are conservative, they're not judicial activists, but at the same time, they lean towards some degree of respecting precedents to the point that even precedents based on pure judicial activism. This is the, this is the question, ultimately. This is, this is what uh, we conservatives who want to see the Constitution respected by the Supreme Court have to come to realize and wrestle with. And I'm not quite sure the, what the answer is. I mean, there's a, uh, I was reading some of her, her, her stuff, her comment, her, her writings, and she does at one point, I mean, this is distressing. It's going to be distressing for lots of folks, but she at one point said that she does not expect that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. Um, so that, take it for what, it is, but she did write that at one point, um, which raises the question of, you know, is she going to be a Thomas or is she going to be a fitness other group? Um, and if she fits in the other group, we're protected against, I think, overt judicial activism going forward. Uh, we might regain some ground uh, for the Constitution but in terms of uh, getting back to what the Constitution actually says on a host of issues, especially hot-button issues, um, I'm not quite sure where we are on that, quite frankly. So listen, I, I certainly hope she follows Clarence Thomas, uh, but unfortunately I have my doubts. So, Well, that's a positive note to end on. And well, how about a positive note? Well, let's look. You know what's positive? My, my new novel is coming. Very soon. So, in fact, and you can pre-order Vatican Shadows, a Pastor Stephen Grant novel, right now. So, what's it about? Well, without giving too much away, the story deals with um, the fact that more than 500 years ago, two men, Jan Hus and Martin Luther, tried to bring about change in the church, in the Catholic Church. Uh, they suffered as a result, with one actually burned at the stake. So, in this book, um, the story, the, under, the kind of the foundation of the story, the background, however you want to put it, um, the question is, could a modern-day pope transform these reformers from heretics to heroes in the eyes of the Catholic Church? The reaction? Well, shadowy figures inside and outside the Vatican oppose Pope Paul VII's efforts and stand willing to do anything to stop him. Who does he turn to for help? Well, the pope turns to Stephen Grant, the Lutheran pastor, former Navy SEAL, and one-time CIA operative. This is edge-of-your-seat stuff, action, theology, 
um, all sorts of good stuff, uh, romance, um, personal relationships. It's all in there. Go, you can pre-order Vatican Shadows right now, the Kindle edition at Amazon.com, or you can pre-order sign books over at RayKeatingOnline.com. So please check out Vatican Shadows. And while I'm talking about it, make sure you're caught up on the first 12 uh, Pastor Stephen Grant thrillers and mysteries before Vatican Shadows hits the market. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Your feedback and suggestions are always most welcome. Please check out my various endeavors and books, including columns over at KeatingFiles.com, my other uh, podcast, Free Enterprise in Three Minutes. Uh, my latest nonfiction book is a collection of columns and essays behind enemy lines, conservative communiques from left-wing New York. And yes, there's some stuff in there about the court and judicial activism and so on, so please check out those essays, that book, um, along with the Pastor Stephen Grant thrillers and mysteries, and my other recent nonfiction book, Free Trade Rocks. They're all available over at uh, Amazon.com and at RayKeatingOnline.com. And guess what? New to-do list solution planners also can pre be pre-ordered for 2021. There's the Lutheran Planner, the Disney Planner, and uh, the Film Buffs Planner. So check that out as well. Those can only be pre-ordered at RayKeatingOnline.com. Hey, also, hey, one more thing. Check out DisneyBizJournal.com. All sorts of interesting business and analysis and fun stuff on the Disney Entertainment Empire. That's it. That's the that's all I've got for you. Thanks so much for listening and God bless.